What we do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome back to Fair It's Gone, episode four, another week, another dollar, Major League Baseball. Weird week this week. Really weird week when it comes, especially looking at the starting lineup. We got some got some very familiar names and some not so familiar names, MOB the show, BR God kind of names. Um I mean we started up behind the plate, real familiar name, best catcher in baseball, JT Really Muto, bad at four twelve, seven hits this week. Um catcher position didn't really show out offensively this week. First base, CJ Crone. Name that brings you back a few years. Hit 500 with three ding-dongs this week. At second base, a guy well-known for his defense, but not so much for his offense. Cold Wong, bet a 5-24 with three home runs. Um, MVP candidate, third base, Jose Ramirez went off 375, five extra base hits. Uh, Fernando Tatis back healthy. He's going to be our shortstop this week, betting 409 with five home runs. Had an insane week. Um, in the outfield, Corey Dickerson betted 412 with three extra base hits, including six walks. Jesse Winker, someone we're going to touch on a little bit here later, uh, batted 400 with five home runs. And then Byron Bucks just rounding us out here in the outfield, batting 450 with four extra base hits. DH, we're actually going back to Yerman Mercedes here, batting 533 with, with uh, eight hits. And on the bump, you know him, you love him, Jacob deGrom. Um, complete game shut piece, including him himself driving in a run. Uh, but this week went one one and one somehow with a .6 ERA, only allowed five hits, only are allowed one earned run. He struck out 24 batters and only walked one. Um, yeah, I guess we'll touch on DeGrom a little bit more later as well. But some of these other guys, Crone, Wong, um, Dickerson, guys that, you know, I guess these teams need this kind of production out of to really be successful, and they got it from them this week. No, um, couple big weeks for some guys, throwback names, like you mentioned, Crone and Wong, kind of guys we don't think of as offensive producers. Crone kind of stepping in uh, in the wake of Nolan Arenado leaving is a big right-handed bat in Colorado. He's played pretty well. Colton Wong, Brewers needed him to step up with Christian Yelich being out. Don't know when he's going to be back, but he had a great week. I got a question. Are you on the J-Ram train now? Have you drank the Kool-Aid? I know you're drinking the Kool-Aid. Are you... No. Finally, will come around on J Ram. No, he's a solid player. He's a solid player. What, is, what does a man have to do for you? You get robbed of an MVP last year. Probably get out of Cleveland. I'm going to be honest with you. He's probably going to have to get out of Cleveland. <laughs> like, really? Like, I like the something about a Cleveland uniform really just doesn't do it for me. I, I don't know what it is. Just really doesn't do it for me. But uh, Fernando Titties Jr. had a hell of a week. Oh, my God. Goodness! Did you watch some of that Dodgers series? I did. I did. He also had the best tweet of the week. It was uh, the the Sunday night game. Um, I think the Dodgers or Padres were down seven two, seven one at one point. Yeah, they were down seven one going into the seventh. Two in the seventh, two in the eighth, two in the ninth, and then one in an extras. Heck of a game. Tatis went yard again. Uh, ridiculous. Did you see the? Uh, <laughs> when Bauer was pitching and he kind of looked down, looked away for a little bit, and then took him yard. I did. I did see that. I uh, Did you see his tweet? Yes. Did you see his Absolutely. tweet? Look, man, Trevor Bauer can go suck himself. <laughs> going to be honest. No, I like Fernando then. I like him even more now. Nah, I mean, it, it's what we've come to expect from Tatis at this point. I mean, 
He's so good. He's so good. The, the series was insane. We got October baseball for three straight games there, going into extra innings multiple times. It was it was exactly what I think we expected out of these two teams and what we kind of expect here on going forward. And I, I honestly think, and this may be hot, I'm not sure, but this may be a wake-up call to some Dodgers fans here that um, maybe the Padres are here and they're ready to kind of take, take the reins here. Um, because as much as the Dodgers do look good on paper, um, they're not getting the kind of production that they've wanted out of certain guys right now. And the Padres obviously are getting the same same level of production that they expected out of some of the guys last year that a lot, including myself, didn't expect much out of. Um, and it's showing. It's showing right now. Um, Blake Snow looks like, looks like a dude. Musgrove looks like a dude. You got Fernando Tatis Jr. I think Manny Machado has found that kind of swag he's been searching for the last few years um, in this team, and he's playing really confident. He's playing really well. I don't know, man. San Diego is really moving my needle, unlike they did last year, and I may be coming around to them, and if I was a Dodgers fan, I would not exactly be relaxed about the whole situation. Hey, yeah, I, I mean, we talked about I was huge on the Padres coming into this year. I think I even said that I, I, I think uh, not a, quite over the course of the whole season, but they can hang with the Dodgers. They've got the top. The, the biggest thing, they don't have the depth that the Dodgers do, but they have the top-level talent. And when you get into a short three-game series like this, we saw it this weekend. Padres showed up. The Dodgers, to an extent, didn't. But um, I mean, that series has been an absolute blast. I think it's beat everybody's expectations so far. There's some crazy stat uh, towards the end of the game Sunday. Um, they had played like 64 innings against each other all year, and 58 of them or something like that, the game has been within two runs, which is, which is just nuts. Every game has been close. They were saying even one of the early games, uh, I think the Dodgers won by five, but it went to extras, and they poured poured a bunch on an extra. So even, even their – Games that don't look close end up being nail biters. And this is the type of stuff Tatis with his just being an enigma and somebody who non-baseball fan. I mean, you saw, did you see Patrick Mahomes was tweeting about Tatis? Yes, I did. That's the kind of stuff that baseball needs. That type of swagger, that type of fun, that type of, hey, people that aren't diehard baseball fans want to tune into this because it's exciting. I get it. Even as a baseball guy growing up, Sitting down and watching a nine in a game a lot of the times isn't always that fun. I can't always get through them, even when the Yankees are playing. But I couldn't keep my eyes off the TV this weekend when the Dodgers and Padres are playing, and something like that's exactly what baseball needs. Wait, 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 wait. You're trying to tell me that bitching and moaning with your agent on Twitter about everything Major League Baseball <laughs> does isn't the way to grow the game? Hold on a second. Who does that, that sound like? You're mistaking, Miss, Mr. Bauer and Mrs. Luba. You are mistaking that bitching on Twitter isn't how you grow the game of baseball. I didn't know that one. Um, Yeah. Yeah, exciting. Uh, let's roll into offense of the week. A team that I don't expect to be here a lot, but hey, I tip the cap. Usually what happens when you play against the Braves and their up-and-down pitching staff. The Arizona Diamondbacks in six games this week um, was second in the league in scoring. It scored 35 runs, tied for fifth in batting average, but hit uh, 269 as a team. It was first in OPS at 832. That's kind of led behind a Carson Kelly, David Peralta-led led squad here, and they're getting a little bit more production out of some of those other guys. 
um, that they've also needed to, such as uh, Cattell Marte. Uh, just a really good week for him. I tip the cap. This includes, I, I want to actually, actually, speaking of the Arizona Diamondbacks, and this is not offense-related, but I do want to have this discussion. What are we doing about seven-inning no-hitters? Here, here, like between you and me. Like, what are we doing here about seven-inning no-hitters? I want, I want to know your take. I want to know where you're at. Um, because I've seen a lot of them from a lot of different people. I'm not exactly sure which way I feel about it, but I could be swayed either way. So, I am I am really in the same boat right now in that I see both sides of the argument. The one thing I think they need is some consistency. While I do get that, like, okay, seven inning no-hitter in a doubleheader, the new doubleheaders where uh, they're only playing seven inning games, yada, yada. Okay. Game was scheduled for seven innings. You pitched seven innings. You pitched the full game. Sure. Um, but currently, if a game gets rained out and called final after seven innings, even though it was supposed to be a nine-inning game, if it gets called final after seven, he'd have done that in a rain-shortened game, it would not have counted either. And I think I think there the only difference is the fact that one game is scheduled for seven and one game is scheduled for nine. But really, honestly, at the end of the day, I think, I feel like it's got to be the same on both. If one of them's going to be a no hitter, the other one has to. If one of them's not going to be a no hitter, the other one can't. I feel like can't be. Um, maybe you can talk me into the double header one being a no hitter and the other one not, just because it is scheduled for seven games. I feel like at the end of the day, seven innings, seven innings, nine innings is nine innings, and I feel like you got to make it uniform with both of those scenarios. Yep, that's, that's a completely fair take. And just to play kind of, I, I hate playing devil's advocate, but to play devil's advocate here and give the flight the the opposite side, I will be our honorary step-in Gabe Simmons here, um, <laughs> is that it is an official game on, on Major League Baseball. It is an official game. Um, seven innings did occur. It was scheduled that way. And all other records would count in that game. So hypothetically, if someone were to hit four nukes, that would go down as tied for the most, you know, home runs in the game. If things like that, I realize that no-hitter is more of a completion thing, not a you-did-X-Y-and-Z thing. It's, it's way more of a completion thing, and those obviously there's a lot of no-hitters lost between eight and nine. Um, I do, I, we're talking about Mad Bum throwing seven-shot piece, uh, or seven-no-hit pieces uh, against the Braves here in a second game of a doubleheader, um, in which the Arizona Diamondbacks gave up one hit in 14 innings, tip my cap there, um, but I think Madison Bumgarner really did put it the best way. Like, did you see his interview? Did not. Like, he was just like nonchalant about it. He was like, "Yeah, you know, whatever." I threw seven no hit innings. Like, like that's great. I think we should, and I think we should absolutely honor it as a no hitter. But it should not go down to the record books if it's meant like that. We should celebrate that's it true. as a no hitter. But putting it in the record books, I'm gonna pause and wait there. He didn't complete those last two, but it, by all means, Chris Rose should not be tweeting. I don't know how to feel about this. We should celebrate it as a no hitter. Thank goodness Chris Rose is out of baseball because that means he's had some tweets that just make no sense to me recently. Um, but as Jeff Passan said, I think we should celebrate it as a no hitter, just not in the record books. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I think um, almost like how we caveat no hitters as. We kind of have a separate category for combined no-hitters. Right. We don't just call everything a no-hitter. We have no-hitters themselves refer to one pitcher throwing nine or more innings a, and finishing the game without allowing a hit. Then we have a separate category for combined no-hitters. We don't just call them all no-hitters. We caveat the combined no-hitters because it doesn't refer to a no-hitter in our traditional sense. And I think I would be okay with kind of almost creating a new 
category in the record books, just like kind of how we have combined no hitters, seven inning, seven inning or shortened no hitters. I would be totally fine with that. Kind of create a separate rule, like hey, they still finish the game, rain shortened or scheduled for seven during the doubleheader. Doesn't matter. They finished that game. That game became final. They pitched every inning and did not allow a hit, a no hitter, but caveat it. I don't think it should go in the same light as nine full nine inning no hitters, but I'm all for, if we want to do something like we do with combined no hitters, I'm all for that. I think they should count and we should celebrate them, but just not in the same way as a traditional. I'm with that. I can jump on that boat. I'm 100% on that boat. Um, but to the flip side of Arizona's this week, they did have a great week offensively, and that's just tacked on to the the, the Mad Bill no hit piece as well as I don't even know who pitched in game one that only that that spun a one hitter against the Braves in game one. Um, and you guys all got to remember that these six games played, two of them were seven innings short in games. Eight. There was four innings still oh, left that, on the table. That's true. I didn't even I didn't um, even think about that. So yeah, there was actually I, four. I Second run scored even more impressive. Yeah, sure. exactly. So there's four four run scoring opportunities they left on the table for them. So they, they had a great week offensively. Um, but on the flip side, staff of the week were back in New York. No surprise there. 199 ERA, second in the league, a .85 whip, third in the league, fourth in Ks with uh, 68, and then third in batting average against at 174. A Jacob deGrom-led staff that um, was expected here. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they were good. But guess what? Again, once again, the, the Mets are pitching their behinds off, and all I can do is laugh because Rom gave up one run this week and still managed to lose – the Mets still managed to lose him a game. And despite having the second-best ERA in baseball the last seven days, third-best whip, fourth-best Ks, third-best batting average against. I know – Seven days versus now we're talking last ten games, but you would you would think they'd probably be at least six and four in their last ten, right? Be better seven and three, eight and two, somewhere in that range. You think they are three and seven in their last ten? Yeah, and I, I do want to stick on the Mets because we we don't do we don't do but so many team highlights here, and this is kind of when we get to talk about it. Um. The Mets are not – we're kind of a team before this season that we discussed that, you know, maybe uh, – I don't know. We were questioning. We were questioning. Yeah, that's that's the best way to put it. Um, I know you were big on them. I was questioning them a little bit more. And it, just one tweet that I saw earlier that, that's a little bit concerning, especially towards the Mets' offense here, is uh, Francisco Lindor's barrel percentage since 2018, right? So what percentile he's in? He was in the 71st percentile in 2018, so very good for a shortstop. Um, usually not in that percentile. 2019, he was 47th. 2020, he was 32nd. And this year, he is 6th in percentile. Um, so the offensive production from Lindor, uh, whatever production is happening now or lack of production, it's going to stay there just based on the peripherals here. Um, he's not looking too good at the plate. Pete Alonso, obviously, is still kind of lacking that MVP form we saw from him two years ago. Um, their offense is not a scary offense. They are thirteen, negative thirteen in run differential right now, um, which is I really did not expect that from that team. With them pitching that well, it's not it's not like they're getting dogged at the plate or on the mound, right? If they were a terrible pitching staff and just couldn't keep up hitting wise, right? We've seen it happen with other teams, sure, but they are a negative thirteen um, run differential right now. 
and they're sitting at nine and ten. Uh, three and seven of the last ten, lost two in a row. They've only scored fifty-seven runs, and they've only allowed seventy in nineteen games. Is the least amount of runs scored in baseball by seventeen? Yeah, that's scary. Our second second lowest run scored in baseball. They have seventy-four runs scored. Mm. Yeah. Reds who haven't pitched all that well, but have the be- most runs scored in baseball have over double. Um, but the uh, the the fifth place Rockies have almost twice as many runs scored as the Mets do. I I'll be the first to say I was big on the Mets going into this year. Now. I did mention, I think I made a comment on one of our preview pods, that I thought over the course of this season, the Mets could finish with a better ERA than the Dodgers, pitching staff-wise. And I I think that was pretty spot on. Uh, Right now, they've given up 18 less runs. Their pitching staff has been incredible. They have given up the least amount of runs in baseball. They have also scored the least amount of runs in baseball by a decent margin. Offense is putrid, and I don't think anyone saw that coming. But say this is uh you could take this with a grain of salt, I guess. You could take it whatever way you want. Just look at these numbers. Brandon Nimmo has outperformed himself this year by a lot. He's been their best hitter on the team. Uh Pete Alonso has an eight thirty three OPS with five home runs. So he he's not performing bad. But Michael Conforto is hitting two nineteen. Um Lindor is hitting two oh three with two extra base hits on the year. JD Davis is hitting extremely well. Dominic Smith is batting 203 with 19 strikeouts and only two walks on the year. James McCann's batting 231. Jeff McNeil's batting 204. Um, Kevin Pillar's batting 120. Albert Demore's batting 143. What scares me here is that Jacob DeGrom has driven in one less run than Francisco Lindor and only two less than Michael Conforto um, in, in uh, about a fifth of the plate appearances. So Jacob Degrom has been statistically one of the Mets' best hitters this year, um, just for the sole fact he's batting four sixty two with a one thousand OPS in thirteen at bats. Degrom is. Um, meanwhile, their offense has been literally putrid. So yeah, the Mets are gonna have to figure it out. But hey, I give it a tip off to Marcus Stroman and crowd. Tip off to them. But the Mets are they're struggling. Makes me feel better about the Yankees. That's for sure. For real. Um, they were struggling offensively. My God. But again, DeGrom led staff. This is what we expected from them. This is what they hyped themselves up to be. This is what they should be. They're performing to expectations. Um, yeah. I don't I don't think my uh, Lindor MVP pick is turning out very well. Nah, that one hasn't been too hot for you so far. Um, going into hitter spotlight, titled Familiar Faces here. And if you're a casual baseball fan, this first one might not be familiar. But for guys who have really watched the game over the last year, this one will be Jesse Winkler. Bet at 377 with a 1123 OPS, six home runs, in, as well as uh, a total of 12 extra base hits. I believe it was five doubles, one triple. He can hit the cover off the baseball. It's it's that it's that flat and simple. He can hit the absolute cover out of the baseball. Defense is a liability. Yeah, sure. I mean, give me a break. It's called hitter spotlight, not fielding spotlight. Um, He can flat out rake the cover out of the baseball. He's shown that over the last two to three seasons. Um, An elite hitter at the plate at this point, I think we can deem his as. And really, Cincinnati, between him and Castellanos, been been their offense. Um, Maybe a little bit of Jonathan India mixed in there, but he's really been helping Cincinnati carry the freight. Yeah, what's been really surprising me about Cincinnati is uh, 
Oh, I, I guess we'll touch on that in a little bit when we get to him, um, actually. So I'll, I'll leave that for later. Mm-hmm. Winker's been great. Uh, continued well last year. Not Again, not much of a defender, but man, you get when you get two guys that have the offensive upside and the streakiness of him and Castellanos, and they're both on at the same time, whew, luck. Especially uh, j- their splits, too, with yep. Winker being a lefty and Castellanos. Being a righty, kind of like Brian Rizzo reminds me a little bit. Yeah, when they were good. Yeah, but we're about to talk about one. Well, let's just talk about him now. Chris Bryant has shown that bounce back form that we've been talking about him for a while. Hitting 300 this year with the 993 OPS, six home runs, 13 extra base hits. Exactly what we've been expecting from Chris Bryant since his 2016 MVP days, and the one that we have talked about for oh so long. He just seems to be putting the barrel on the ball a lot more this season. And for this season, I have to say that is very, very important. This uh, this April has been the lowest scoring, lowest offensive period for baseball in literally decades. Um, this first wow. April has been. It's been really bad. So anyone who's putting the barrel on the ball, tip your cap. But Chris Bryant is, I wouldn't say playing at an MVP form, but very close to it right now. And for as bad as the Cubs offense has been this season, he has been the strong point, which I feel like is the complete opposite about what we've been saying in the past few seasons. Yeah, no, good to see him bounce back. I, I think he's finally – this is probably the best we've seen him at least so far to start the year since 2016. And um, he, he's a guy who's supremely talented. Uh, baseball – can't say it about too many people, but baseball is just more fun when he's crushing them. And it, it, it is good to see him back right in the middle of that Cubs lineup for sure. Cubs, Cubs fans are happy to see it. Yeah, when I touch on that April um... – Lowest batting average in April since 1968 with a 232 over the league. The lowest, uh, lowest OPS since 1992 with a 699 and a 24.6 strikeout rate, highest all time since April. We can touch on a little bit of that later, um, maybe if we get around to it. But uh, just just wanted to put that out there when I discuss the one of the worst Aprils we've had in a long time here, just for some context for everyone listening. Um, but third, but... Third but not last, familiar faces. Uh, Bruce Hooper, Bryce Harper, uh, batting 321 with a 1063 OPS, six home runs, 11 extra base hits, and 16 walks. Um, really a guy I haven't heard much from this season, which for Bryce Harper is kind of familiar, but I guess when you sign a 13 year deal in Philadelphia, I don't expect to see you in the national media nearly as much as I used to. Um, but really, a guy putting up MVP caliber numbers again for a Philly team that I think offense is really struggling. Reese Hoskins has picked it up here in the last week or so. But uh, it's really been Harper against the world. Um, yeah. I say they've only scored 87 runs this season. They're at a negative 17 run differential. But um, he's been playing well. So tip my cap to Bryce Harper, uh, another familiar face here that I, that I think is really good and does a lot of things on the baseball field that a lot of people don't recognize, such as plate discipline, walks, knowing what to do when. Um, but he's kind of gotten lost in the mix of Philly and kind of in the NL East and not being on what is considered a World Series contending team. But a guy who still needs that national spotlight and that I think can, can really help help push baseball um, to the next level. Yeah, I, I've kind of been through cycles with Harper at first. I liked him he was a phenom then i thought he was kind of a dick and too full of himself and then he kind of rounded out but i thought he was overrated and he had a couple bad years and a couple injuries dude can flat out hit plays decent defense his plate discipline is off the charts he's a very professional hitter i almost feel bad for him at this point i, yeah. I mean 
Moore. He's put together a very solid career with some very high peaks. Um, his 20, was it 15? Yeah, 2015 yeah. MVP season. One of the best offensive seasons we've seen in the last 20 years. And he just can't seem to find himself in the right spot, I think. Uh, I think his first few years, he probably didn't contribute as much to winning as his slash line indicated. Um, and Jumpstown for Philly, which I can't blame him. They gave him a massive offer with the promise of spending more to win. They haven't really followed through on that. And then the Nats win the World Series the year he leaves. Um, and Philly's not really competitive now. and Definitely not World Series competitive. Um, and, and he's continuing to hit. I, I kind of feel bad at this point. That's just kind that's of drawing my heart. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, some things haven't broke the right way for Harper over the past few years. I think uh, I think part of it is maybe a little bit of karma. Um did you know that sucks? I think that I think his time in Washington was about about spit um, with their fan base. I think they kind of got tired of his antics a little bit, and, and obviously it kind of worked out for Washington the next year when they won the World Series. Um, man's got paid in Philly, and I think um, I think Philly. I think uh, they're doing him wrong. You say you got to break out the paycheck, and then you take forever to resign JT, um, and then obviously you haven't broken out the paycheck. You paid a few pennies for DD Gregorius. Other than that, uh, the the trade for JT Reese has been their own product. Zach Wheeler, I mean, however much that really one that one really wants to move the needle for you, everyone's up and down with that one. Doesn't move it for me. Um, but yeah, Harper Harper's ripped the cover off the ball this year and deserves he deserves to get that a uh, little nod. Um, next one, fantasy droppables. These are guys you might want to look at if they're on your fantasy team of dropping because they're. They're really bad, and the first one you might want to drop from your own team over there, Mr. Jordan. I was just going to say, I don't know that uh, Eugenio Suarez is droppable yet. Cause no, he's no, still... no, 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 no. He's droppable. I think I'm first in the waiver order. He's droppable. I, I'm, I'm holding on to him a little bit too long. But he, I, what... he's, he's droppable. Trust me. I, I can pick him up. I'll yeah, take him oh, off okay. your hands. Okay. Um, um, but what I, what I was going to get to earlier, what surprised me most about how good the Reds have been offensively is how bad Suarez has been. I mean, with their lineup makeup, you, you would think that if the Reds are going to be good offensively, even decent, that Suarez would be a huge piece of it. And the fact that he has been so bad and they're still leading the league in run scored is testament to guys like Jesse Winker who have just hit the cover off the ball. But uh, I think best thing to sum up Suarez's season right now, he's in the middle of a two-for-40 slump with uh, – 43% strikeout rate. Yeah, he struck out 38 times during his 83 career, uh, season at-bats. He's only batting 125. That's really good. Look, I know he's swinging or miss, but you can't be this swinging. You could give Jacob DeGrom 83 PAs, and he'd have a better slash line than that. Uh, yeah. He's borderline better than Glaber Torres right now, Jacob DeGrom is. Sorry. All right. We did, we, we, we did not need to drag him into this. You're right. Let's let's stay in New York, though. Aaron Hicks batting 147 with 22 Ks. Um, a guy I think the Yankees needed – not needed. I don't know. Is he still batting in the three-hole for y'all, or have y'all given that one up? I'm scared to look. I really hope not. Like, I mean, uh, I mean, why, hey, the part Aaron Hicks was ever in Aaron Bones' three-hole is, is a little egregious. Uh, but on top of that, he's played really bad this season. Uh, a guy that was supposed to be a pretty versatile middle-of-the-order piece, I mean, maybe like a 6-7 hitter, um, maybe not middle-of-the-order, but kind of back in, but had all the potential to be really good, um, just hasn't put it together. Um, 
Yankees are really missing out. Yankees offense is scuffling in general, and Hicks is not helping the cause. Uh, we have finally moved Hicks out of the three hole. He's now hitting sixth. Oh, see. All right, cool. That's where he should have started. Usually, you easily could have just thrown Clint Frazier's name in there, too. Glaber's picked it up a little bit. He's he's at least hitting over 200. Baby steps here. Baby steps. Um, Let's fly back to Chicago. Uh, for this last one, Ian Happ batting 135. He only has one extra base hit this year, and he struck out 35. Uh, yeah, 30 times. 30 times. He struck out 30 times. Um, Ian Happ, a guy who had a really big season last year, I th- that I think all the Cubs fans finally thought, oh, the, the hailed prospect has finally done it. He's up in the major leagues for good. He's going to be a going to be an all-star here soon. Versatile center fielder, second base, corner infield option. You know, power from both sides, switch hit piece, and he's kind of back to the Ian Happ that we've all seen for the last couple years here. Um, really scuffled to play. All three of these guys have all a ton of power potential that I wouldn't be surprised in a week um, that they hit 500 with five nukes. So, like, don't be surprised. I'm not counting these guys out at all. But throughout April, they they have been the epitome of bad. Yeah, uh, Hap's one that kind of puzzles me. I mean, even he's still young, but his first two seasons, age 22 and 23, in good sample sizes, OPS uh, OPS plus of 113 and 102. And in the last two years, uh, he played less games the last two years combined than either of his first two seasons because they had him up and down, injuries, and then shortened year last year. But he OPS plus 129 and 134. So showed a lot of promise at the plate uh, the last two seasons, albeit in a small sample size. Um, obviously, he's better than what he's putting up right now. But I, I have a hard time gauging if he's – streaky and ran into a couple hot streaks the last two years so his numbers look good or if he's really just kind of a league average hitter whose best value is going to be defensive versatility with a little bit of pop yes um that, that's what i got for you on that yes that's what he is yes yeah <laughs> um let's let's go back to the bump here what are walks these are three guys who have dominated and the things that suck out to me with their walk numbers jacob Degrom. Two and two this year, by the way. He has two losses with a .51 ERA. Jacob DeGrom has two losses. We have already touched on those. I'm not going to beat a dead horse. .51 ERA with 59 Ks and only four walks. Uh, Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. To say the least. Now. I think my Jacob DeGrom Cy Young looks pretty safe. Uh, better than my uh, award pick for another Mets supposed superstar. Yeah, I think. By a long. Yeah, I think that one's. Uh, I think that was pretty safe for us. That that one's very safe. Uh, but I think we've read read Degrom enough enough so far. So let's just go on the second guy who we haven't talked about this year. Surprisingly enough, Choo Choo all aboard the Garrett Cole train. Three one this year. One seven one ERA. Fifty Ks. Only three walks from Cole. Um, the only Yankee saving grace right now is Garrett Cole. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Um, other than a, another player who will not be named on this podcast, he's pitched pretty well this year. I'm sure we can all figure out who that one is. Um, but Garrett Cole has pitched unbelievable this year. Uh, for the out he's getting paid, it's exactly what we expected. It's not Jacob DeGrom level, which is insane because if you would have given me that stat line from any other guy in any other season, I would just assume he's the best pitcher in the league. 
when right now he's not. But only three three walks from Garrett Cole is really good. Really, really good. Well, that's the craziest thing to me is, I mean, you know, guys like DeGrom and Cole are going to rack up the strikeout numbers, but the lack of walks are throwing, they're, they're doing one of two things. They are either throwing balls in the zone that are so disgusting that people are not, not being able to put a bat on the ball, or they are it, really what it may be because I really haven't watched either of them pitch too much this year. I mean, it either speaks to how nasty their stuff is in the zone or they are tunneling so well that even when it's out of the zone, guys can't lay off of it. I mean, those the strikeout-to-walk ratio for both of those guys is insane. I don't ever remember seeing something like that. Pitching in Major League Baseball has never been better than right now. Like, I will go to, I will go to, go to my grave with that one. Ever. I mean, it speaks to the offensive numbers that we're seeing right now. Yes. Speaks to the offensive philosophies that we're seeing right now. That hey man, I hope I hope you hit one and you better get out of the yard. Everything's kind of led up to this kind of culmination. I feel like I mean, more guys we're seeing the value of playing the ball in the strike zone, not necessarily trying to get guys to chase. Walks are walks are not good because your on base percentage on the walk is a thousand. Um, throwing the ball in the strike zone, pitch tunneling, spin rate. Of like Bauer, I'm sure other guys are doing it too. Just kind of engineering pitches, playing with stuff until you can really get a feel for everything. And then the three outcome hitting philosophy: launch angle, kind of swinging for the fences. No more small ball. No more slap contact hitters. We don't have anybody even close to a hitter like Tony Gwynn now in baseball. E- even some of our door hitters like a Trout, he still strikes out a lot, way more than a guy like Tony Gwynn ever did. And Ooh. The offensive philosophies and the pitching philosophies have kind of just both been creeping towards the same spot, and now we've finally, I think, gotten close to it. We have reached a point in Major League Baseball where pitching is so hard to hit. There's a reason there is no one like Tony Gwynn anymore. If you were to go up there and just try to make contact and slap a ball around, you will strike out three times. That no one's floating you pitches into the zone anymore. No one, 93 miles per hour fastballs are not effective. Like, the only one that's effective is Shane Bieber, and that's because his breaking stuff is the nastiest stuff on the human planet right now. Um, so, both of those things meeting each other. That guys are like, hey, I can't touch this, so if I do touch it, I better swing hard and swing up and get it out of the park. And pitchers, on the meanwhile, are just getting better because that's just the natural progression of pitching is how hard can I throw this baseball, how much can I make it move, and hitters have responded with, if, if you're going to throw hard, I'm just going to swing hard and we'll pray that something magical happens so anyone that's like what happened to old baseball yeah single bunt him over sack fly it's because making contact three times three times in a row like that is probably the hardest it's ever been in the history of major league baseball very good point ever um and on the point about walking corbin burns two and two with a one five three era 49 k's in zero walks corbin burns has not walked someone this year um, again, unheard of. What are walks? Corbin Burns, a guy that I think we touched on in our uh, our first pod, and then we also touched on in the preseason pod talking about how he needed to continue on what he did last year into what he did is doing this year. And uh, boy, is he doing that! What's craziest to me about Corbin is, uh, you know, the knock on him, uh, why he 
kind of like glass now always had the elite stuff the question was never the stuff for some guys the question isn't control um are they ever going to get enough velo break to really be effective with the lower velocity but with a guy like corbin burns the stuff was always there it was a matter of command and i mean his walks per nine the last couple of years were not terrible but not great i, I mean 0.7 in 2019, 3.6 per nine walks per nine in 2020. No means elite numbers. The fact that he has gone out, I, I mean, I can't even comprehend not walking a single batter in 30 innings with 49 strikeouts. Here, let me let me let me just rattle off some numbers for you. Here. These are just some splits, some real quick splits. After a 3-0 count this year, he's had two 3-0 counts. He struck out both batters. After three one counts this year, he struck out both batters. After, after where is it at? Two and O counts, he has not a lot of hit. After two and one counts, he's had 17 two and one counts. He struck them out nine times. Um, so in all in the 13 at bats that he has reached three balls, he struck eight eight the guys out eight times. Um, so when he is behind. He's still filthy, and that's the thing. He's not gonna. He's he's a guy that I don't think is worried about throwing layover pitches. He's gonna come straight at you with some dead heat and say, "Hit it, big boy!" And if you can't, you can't get out of the box. Strike out. Like that's just insanely impressive. That he's not only coming back from three O's, giving up doubles, giving up uh, moon shots, giving up giving up easy singles. He's coming back and he's saying, "Hit the ball," and they can't do it. They just flat out can't do it. You know, it's a small aside. You know, it's even crazier to me. Um, it's insane as Burns' stat line looks this year. In 29 innings, his ERA plus is 266. Zach Britton in 2016, in 67 innings, his ERA plus was 803. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they left him in the bullpen, by the way. I know. It just continues to blow my mind how good his 2016 was. Anyway, very good, very good. Um, on the flip side of the bump here, were our expectations too high for these three guys? We're gonna start in DC. Patrick Corbin, four games started, he's only gone 16 innings this year with a 10 470 already. He's allowed 23 hits. Now, um, this is the culmination of everything we just talked about, and here's the difference. The I realize velocity isn't everything. But the three guys we just talked about throw the ball extremely hard, and if they don't throw their fastballs extremely hard, they throw something else extremely hard. Um, Patrick Corbin throws absolutely nothing hard, like zero. Not a single one of his pitches is hard. He barely breaks 90. He's a crafty lefty, which in today's game we're seeing less and less of, and um, there's a reason for that, and I think I think Patrick Corbin's kind of showing us. I'm not saying he can't bounce back and figure it out. He's obviously done it before, and he was a big part of that 2019 Nationals team. Um, but right now he is struggling beyond means. Um, that's a good point about uh, I didn't even really make that connection that all three of those guys we talked about who are really I think unquestioned the three best pitchers in baseball at least right now, um, with Shane Bieber mixed in there, throw very hard. Degrom's slider is about four miles per hour faster than Patrick Corbin's fastball. I'll leave it at that for Patrick Corbin. Yeah. I mean, when you're having to catch up to sit on 99 on the black and then adjust to 94 to break, 
with the kind of break that DeGrom gets on his slider and then with Corbin, you're sitting on 90 and reacting to a 78-mile-an-hour slider. It just, as much as we talk about you can still be a good pitcher without Velo, Velo sure does make it a hell of a lot easier. Yes, it does. Yes, it does, to say the least. Um, moving on, number two, Kenta Mieta. Five games started, only gone 23 and a third. Has a 6-5-6 ERA. He's allowed 36 hits. Is this the Mieta we really expected? Is this the one that we that, that we knew was coming? Because he wasn't that great in a Dodgers uniform. He was nowhere near Cy Young in a Dodgers uniform. He has last year where he's a freak for, you know, 10, 15 games. And we're kind of back. I would say this Maeda is closer to the one that was in a Dodgers uniform than the one we saw last year. Um, again, I wasn't the biggest Kenta Maeda fan in L.A. I'm not going to look up his numbers. Just This is strictly from the top of my head here. Um but he's definitely not having the Cy Young, the the second the second place Cy Young season he had last year. It was basically a league average in LA, ERA plus of one fifteen ninety eight, and then one hundred two two years in a row. He was a reliever half the time, was he not? Um, or was that yeah? Uh, he only didn't start. Uh, uh, twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. That I'm thinking of. Twenty eighteen. He came out of the pen for about half of his games, mm-hmm. but other than that. That's right. Everything else. Hey, rough for Kenta. Um, I think he's somewhere in the middle. Obviously, he's better. Fairly consistent in LA. I mean, ERA three four eight four two two three eight one four zero four. I think last year was a flash in the pan. I would expect him around the three seven five to four range. I think is probably a good spot for him. I think he'll get better. He's got decent stuff, um, but I don't expect a sub-3-5 ERA from him. Yep, I agree. Sure. Um, in the last one, Lucas Giolito, five games started, 25 in a third innings pitch, to 5-6-8, and 22 hits allowed. Um, only 22 hits, or only, I'll put that in quotes. Um, he's getting roughed up. He's getting pow- He's getting a little bit overpowered right now. Um, a guy we had a lot of expectations for this year, including Cy Young expectations from me over here. Um I expected Giolito to be really good this year. I have no no qualms that he'll bounce back. Uh, right now, Lance Lynn and Carlos Rodon are kind of carrying the White Sox rotation, but but Giolito needs to bounce back if the White Sox truly want a deep playoff implications. I think Rodon and Giolito have basically flipped expectations this year. Um, yes. We expect Giolito to... Hey, Giolito pitching like Rodon has pitched would have surprised me less than him pitching like this and the same other way around. Rodon pitching like Giolito has been would surprise me less than uh, how he's pitching right now. Yeah, that's fair enough. Just expect both of them. Mm-hmm. Quite honestly, Rodon to pitch, I kind of forgot he was still a factor. Been yep. hurt so often. Yep, 100%. 100%. Um, let's go over to the standings. Let's go to wrap us up here for all like player discussions. Let's go over to standings. Um, in the AL East, Boston is currently three games up on Tampa. Boston is sixteen and nine. Uh, Tampa thirteen and twelve. Toronto eleven and twelve. New York eleven and thirteen. And Baltimore ten and fourteen. Um, I, I Boston's played well. There's there's let's 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 call a spade a spade. Boston's played well. The Yankees have not. Toronto has not. Tampa has not. Uh, Baltimore. Has actually been playing above 
I think what we all expected from Baltimore. Again, too early in the season, I think, to really lay down the line here or anything. But Boston's played well, which is tip my cap, I guess. And if the Yankees offense needs to figure something out, because Gary Sanchez, Glaber Torres, Aaron Hicks, Clint Frazier, anyone not named Aaron Judge and Giancarlo have, have mightily struggled. Again, you're telling me one thing. Uh, Boston is 8-1 on the road this year, which is pretty impressive. Part of the reason that they've been so good to start. Yeah, New York's also only 2-6 and six versus teams above 500. Boston's 7-4. and four. That'll do it. That will do it. Uh, moving over to the Central, Kansas City with the best team with the best record in baseball at fifteen and eight is two and a half games up on the White Sox. White Sox are twelve and ten. Cleveland eleven and twelve. Minnesota eight and fifteen. Detroit eight and sixteen. The big one here is Kansas City being so good. Only a six run differential, so they will come back to earth a little bit here. But they have played really well. Um, Minnesota's a scary one because they've allowed one hundred and eight runs. Uh, I think that's kind of what we expected here from the pitching staff, but the offense obviously has not overpowered themselves into what I think we expected them to. Um, they're also five and twelve against teams above five hundred, so they're they're struggling against teams that are kind of the upper upper echelon of baseball. Yep. No. Uh, out of my, I mean, we talked a little bit about how Kansas City could be decent because of the veterans they had, but not have expected them to be leading the Central. Um, this late into April. No, Dan- Danny Duffy being the league leader in ERA right now and qualified ERA right now was not one I was was on my bingo card. Um, going to the AL West here, Oakland is up on Seattle by a game and a half. Oakland is fifteen and ten. Seattle thirteen and eleven. Houston twelve and eleven. LA uh, eleven eleven. And Texas is ten and fourteen. The only team with a positive run differential is the Houston Astros by plus 23. So I'm gonna just going to go ahead and say this entire division is out of whack. Um, considering Oakland is negative 4, Seattle's negative 1, uh, Angels are negative 17, and the Texas Rangers are negative 18. The Angels can't pitch, by the way. They've allowed 124 runs this season. They literally can't pitch. And did we expect anything different? Their no. pitching staff is Disappointed, no but not surprised. Point. Who are, their, who are their best? I mean, as much as we like Otani, not going to pitch every fifth day. Yeah, Dylan Bundy. He's not eight innings. Mm-hmm. Um, they need Quintana's not pitched well. He needs Bundy eh. has not been what he was last season. To no one's surprise, pitching staff sucks. Uh, Houston's clearly the best team in this division, I think, uh, but obviously small sample. Oakland's turnaround has been kind of fun to watch. I think, what, were they up to eight in a row at one point? Yep, yep. Uh, I also want to point out Houston is 12-6 and six versus teams above 500, so some of their losses have been a little yeah, fluky. Some of their losses have been a little fluky. Uh, let's go over to the National League. Let's go to National League East. On top, after being fourth last week, the Atlanta Braves at 12-12. Um, Philadelphia at second at eleven and twelve. New York Mets nine and ten. Miami eleven and thirteen. Washington nine and twelve. This 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 division is completely up for grabs. Um, I think Miami's playing a little under with a with a plus twelve run differential. Atlanta's plus plus four. Um, Philadelphia's minus seventeen. New York minus thirteen. Washington minus twenty two. I think those will kind of even out here, or at least even out how the divisions go. And the Braves are looking a little better here recently. Six and four in the last ten. They've won three in a row. Um, Beat the Cubs tonight, ten to zero. Kind of crushed them. Um, Philadelphia and Mets. Well, this division's up to grabs. It's a complete coin flip right now. Gonna be honest. 
Not a good coin flip because they're all playing really well. Complete coin flip because all of them have one glaring issue, whether it be the Braves pitching, Philadelphia's inconsistencies on offense, New York's hitting. Miami actually looks kind of decent. Um, and then Washington's lack of offense. They all have one glaring issue. No, uh, Marlins have the best run differential in, in the East. They're actually the only ones with positive run differential. Division in baseball, the other five, all have at least two teams over 500. The NL East has none. Yep. Yep. It's just quite, quite. I'm telling you, one glaring issue. Whichever. NL East so far this year pretty well. Which, whichever team figures out their issue first is is, is going to take the division by its nuts. It's about that simple. Just, just grab them by their nuts and get after it. Um. Moving over to the Central here, Milwaukee's in first place, game and a half above St. Louis. Milwaukee's fourteen and ten, St. Louis twelve and eleven. Pittsburgh twelve and twelve, big big time out of Pittsburgh. Cincinnati eleven and thirteen, and Chicago's last at ten and fourteen. Again, a division that's completely up for grabs, as the Central has been over the last about decade and a half. Um, Milwaukee obviously behind Burns is playing really well, but they cannot score runs. Milwaukee's only scored ninety eight runs this year, um, which is really low. St. Louis uh, looks pretty good. Pittsburgh's playing way above where they should be, but good for them. They have the lowest ERA in baseball since, or one of the lowest ERAs in baseball, I believe, since like April 13th. They only have a .97 bullpen ERA, by the way. .97 bullpen ERA. So they're shoving it uh, out of the pin, so good for Pittsburgh. Cincinnati, despite scoring 128 runs, has allowed 122. Um, and Chicago's only scored 99, so they're struggling offensively. Um. I mean, it's as tight as we thought it was going to be. Everyone's within three and a half games. Uh, and it, the biggest thing to me is expected win-loss just based on run differential. Everyone has one has more than a seven-run differential, and no one has worse than a negative nine-run differential. I mean, even when you look at underlying numbers, they're still neck and neck. Um, the thing I want to point out, St. Louis has only played one series this year against a team above 500 are still 12 and 11. Uh, it doesn't bode well for them. I no, think. it does not look well. It does not look well at all. Um, Cabin is out here in the East. The East. Weast. I thought you said Weast. The uh, the NL West. Los Angeles Dodgers are 16 and 9, but they're 3 and 7 over the last 10. Um, it's the Dodgers. I'm just going to stop there. Right behind them, the San Francisco Giants are 15 and 9. Arizona 12 and 11. San Diego 13 and 12. And Colorado 9 and 14. This division has been surprisingly competitive this year. Um, as we kind of thought the, the Dodgers and San Diego were going to run with eight, San Francisco has been really good. It is a Buster Posey comeback season. That dude has been unbelievable this season. They're getting really good. I mean, we talked about this team at the beginning of the year, and I was very high on the San Francisco Giants just because of guys like Alex Wood, Johnny Cueto, Anthony Desclafani, um, veterans like Posey, Bell. You got guys like uh, Soliano who, who really came on last season. You had a couple young guys that are going to come up. And they're 7-3 and three in their last 10 uh, they scored 97 runs and only allowed 77. They're three and three against teams above 500. Uh, they're nine and three at home. San Francisco's playing really well, and they're they're not a team that I said they're a team at the beginning of the year. I said don't take lightly, and they are showing why I said it. So at least I got that one right. Extremely impressed with San Francisco. That was another team, kind of like Kansas City. We talked about they've got veteran guys, they've got pieces. They're probably not going to contend for a playoff spot over the full course of the season. They're going to be hard to beat. They're going to be good. And Mets fans, this is what your team could look like if you could at least hit the ball at a league average level. I, I mean, the Giants haven't even broken 100 runs yet. They've only scored 97, but they have the second least amount of runs allowed in baseball and only the Mets at 77, yet have scored 40 more runs than the Mets. 
I, I mean, if the Mets had a league average offense, they'd be sitting at 15 and 9, 16 and 10, somewhere in that range, and up six games in the division. But they're incompetent. Yep, 100%. Um, that's going to wrap us up here for standings. Again, to wrap it, just kind of going into our back couple segments here. Shohei Otani update. Dude stayed on fire hitting. He's batting 287 with a 970 OPS, seven home runs, 18 RBIs. Um, on the bump, he has three games started, 13 and two-thirds innings pitch, 329 ERA, and 23 Ks. Um, quick tidbit, he's the first player to lead the league in home runs and start on the mound since Babe Ruth. Uh, some odd 100 years ago. So that's that's impressive. I'm I'm full in on the Kool Aid. I said that last week. I'm I'm the Kool Aid man at this point. I am Kool Aid Suave. I don't know how you want to put it, but I've drank of it. I've drank I've drank all the fruit punch. There could possibly be called me. The, I'm like the Hawaiian Punch Man, surfing down the Hawaiian Punch wave on the front of the thing on a cold, crisp afternoon after you get out of the pool when you're a kid and all you want is some Hawaii Shohei Punch. That would be a good name for a drink. Shohei Punch. Shut up. That would be a good name for a drink and you can't even give me crap over that Shohei Punch. Yeah. Uh, it's catchy. If, um, someone, if someone comes up with that, I copyright it now. Give me my money. We got the receipts too. Uh, oh, Otani's awesome. I just... On wood, hope that he can stay healthy because it, just little tidbits like first to lead the league at home runs and start a game on the mound since Babe Ruth. I, I mean, can't make that stuff up. No, you it's cannot. Supremely talented. So much fun to watch. Yep. And to wrap us up here, obviously, our three stars segment. Um, where we go over three stars that may have not gotten the love this week that they deserved that they really deserved. Uh I'm gonna start off. In Texas, Nick Solak batted 400 this week with three ding-dongs. Had a really good week. Uh, utility guy for them, but I just had a really good week. Tip the cap. I ain't got much to say. Gave me crap for picking him in fantasy, too. Oh, my God. Shut up. No one wants Nick Solak. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, this is an Arizona Diamondbacks podcast this week because really my is. first star, David, went out to the desert. Uh, two home runs this week including a seven RBI day at the beginning of the week. A big part of why, despite uh, having two seven-inning games and one game less than most of the league, they were second in run scored. Um, great week for David Peralta. Absolutely. Um, go to my second star. I'm going to go Christian Javier. Had two starts for the Astros this week. Uh, 2-0 with a 0-0 ERA, 12 innings pitch, 15 Ks. Two really good starts for a team that I think is going to shoot up this division based on run differential, kind of how they played, how they're looking right now. The team that should shoot up the West and um, take a pretty handle, handily good lead on that division. Oh, good week for him. Um, again, Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. We are sticking out in the West. You mentioned earlier uh, – I just missed our catcher list for team of the week. Carson Kelly, three dongs this week, seven RBIs, did not strike out. That's the most impressive part to me. I think we talked about strikeout numbers of DeGrom, Cole, Burns. In this day and age of strikeouts, the fact that he played pretty much a full week and did not strike out is extremely impressive. BR legend Carson Kelly. Get it right, son. <laughs> BR God Carson Kelly. If you know, you not, know. Respect the goat. If you know, you know, man. Uh, my third star, I actually had him on my week one third star, Cedric Mullins. We're going back to Baltimore. He's having a heck of a season this year. This week he batted 435, 10 hits, 4 extra base hits, 
Uh, hey, hey, I mean, if he wants to do it, he wants to do it. We were talking about who was going to be the starting center fielder for the Baltimore Orioles, whether it was going to be him, Hayes, it could be a, a whole lot of guys. And he's obviously locked up this position, took with it, reigned with it, and is, is performing really well. So my third story has to be Cedric Mullins. No, um, great week. One of the bright spots for the Orioles. Cap it off. Uh, my third star, Trevor Rogers. Uh, two starts this week, seven innings, four hits, one walk, eight Ks, and then uh, gets Milwaukee on, geez, what is it, Wednesday? On Monday. Uh, six innings pitch, six hits, learn, no walks, seven Ks. Two solid starts for Trevor Rogers in the last week. Absolutely. I believe, uh, and now rookie of the year leader right now, Trevor Rogers. He looks real good. Uh, actually, him and Javier basically at the same stat line. I think Rogers just threw one more inning. Yep. Crazy. Things be like that sometimes. Uh, final thoughts. Uh, uh, give me more Dodgers and Padres, whatever it takes. Oh, pay-per-view. Doesn't matter. Give me 162 and then a DS, a CS, and a World Series of just Dodgers, Padres. Uh, nope. 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 Yes. No, Husker, you know it went deep tonight. Um, he, Actually, I do. I, I, one more uh, thing. Since you want to keep throwing the Yankees in here, the also like the Cardinals, the Atlanta Braves have also only played three teams above 500. So what happens when your entire team, your entire division is at 500? That, that, does, that does tend to do that. That tends to do that when the entire division <laughs> the is The Mets have actually already team. played two Two games against teams above The entire division's only probably played four. (laughs) Um, The Marlins have played 16. That's because all of the... They just play whoever's in the division lead. They're like, hey, look, the Nationals (laughs) have the lead. Go play them this week. Have fun. Like, Miami's like, ah, fuck me. I don't don't know if that takes into account, like, okay, is that record against teams that were 500 when they played or record against teams that are 500 right now? I assume that's when they played. I would like to yeah, assume this when they played. I have no idea, but either way. Um, yeah, I mean, Husker, you know, went deep tonight. Uh, there, was a, there was a quote from Brian Snicker that said that he was whiffing on soft toss to begin the season, and <laughs> he took Alec Mills deep tonight, so big shout-out there. It's a rough day to be Alec Mills. Yeah, well, it's a rough day to be Kyle Hendricks throwing 87, and then you bring in Alex Mills, who throws 89. And don't expect the Atlanta Braves to do something. Not not exactly sure what David Ross was. Uh, that situation isn't working out. I'm sorry. That David Ross managerial, you know, buddy, buddy, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo thing is really not working out, like, at all, by I the way. I feel like you can't go from being a player on the team to being a manager on the team with the same core of players. I, I just don't – as much of a respected veteran – as David Ross was, I, I just don't think it works. You don't have the same dynamic. That would be like if Buster Posey in a couple of years retired and became the Giants manager. I just, I just don't think it would hold the same weight. As I, think even, coming... I think it's even worse than that because, like, because like the Cubs are still young they, and up and coming. Posey would just be like a placeholder yeah. until the prospects got there, and he would have never played with the prospects. Like, this was like a contending That's team. True. This would be like, uh, I, I can't even, like, I can't, there's no other situation where this could have happened. In. I, I really don't can't think of one off the top of my head. Justin Turner maybe retiring and becoming the Dodgers manager? I yeah, like Adrian, Gonzal- Adrian Gal- yeah. Gonzalez becoming the Dodgers manager? 
something yeah, like that. Something like that. I, I feel like it doesn't work when you've played with the same core of guys that you're going to No, manage, no, 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 no. There has to be like a generational gap there, right? Like go start in AAA, go be like a like a player developmental coach. Be like Nick Marcake is <laughs> you, trying to you coach gotta have, so, You're to have some kind of gap, but you can't pull a White Sox and hire Tony La Russa to manage your uh, high-energy, young ego team. Yeah, that one's just not, not working out at all. I, I wish I felt bad. Both, both of the Chicago Chicago managers just canceled for this week. Yeah, I don't I I don't I I don't I I can't wrap my head around it. I really can. I'm trying to. I'm physically trying to wrap my head around why in God's name they hired David Ross and thought that was a good idea. He's a clubhouse guy. Big big clubhouse guy, man. Big ego. Yeah, screw metrics. Big clubhouse guy. That's it. That's it. Like, could you could you really imagine like, like hypothetically, right? Could you could you imagine? I don't know. I, I, I there's no other situation for this. It would be like Brett Gardner going and try to coach the Yankees right now. Yeah, I can or, see why the Cubs hired David Ross. I would be all for Brett Gardner as manager of the Yankees, yes, despite yeah. everything that I did. <laughs> yeah, until you're playing like crap and Gardner <laughs> tries to tell Aaron Judge literally I know, I know I just trashed that idea completely, but I would be all for Brett Gardner. I mean, I'd all be for Nick Markakis being the Braves manager. I think it'd be fun for just the meme show, but it'd be a terrible idea. It'd be an absolutely horrendous idea. Like, my uh, God. I, I, although, as much fun as that would be, I can't imagine. I mean, could you, could you imagine Gardner gets tossed from a game? And just takes his takes someone's bat off the rack in the dugout and starts just eating it against his uh, roof of the dugout. Brett Gardner would be fined so much money for Major League Baseball, it wouldn't even be funny. It, it <laughs> at that point, it would become Brett Gardner could pay off the entire Yankees payroll based on how much he'd get fined. We'd have to start <laughs> GoFundMe pages for a Major League Baseball coach. Like it wouldn't it wouldn't go well at all. But uh, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. No more final thoughts. We've we've gotten to Bre- Brett Gardner being the Yankees managers. We have run out of things. We are not talking about anything else before this spirals into oblivion somehow. Um, so that's gonna wrap us up here. We will catch you guys next week. <laughs>